0: Wandering Journo at Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town. The podcast that takes you on an audio journey highlighting a different slice of Australian life each episode. Buckle up to meet a great array of ordinary, everyday, incredible Australians. This podcast is brought to you by DM Podcasts, part of Diamantina Media, with more than 25 million downloads for a range of shows such as The Batuta Advocate and Chat 10 Looks 3. Streets of Your Town podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on whose land this story was gathered, the Yagara and Turrubur peoples. I acknowledge that for tens of thousands of years, First Nations people have walked this country and shared stories on this great land down under, and I walk in their footsteps today. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. There's not many awards he hasn't won for his groundbreaking musical theatre work and now Lin-Manuel Miranda has shown he keeps his promises too. The Tony, Grammy, Emmy, Olivier and Pulitzer Prize winning creator came to Brisbane this weekend to watch the Australian company perform Hamilton, his worldwide musical juggernaut that combines jazz, hip-hop, R&B and Broadway musical styles to tell the story of American founding father Alexander Hamilton. He also made a visit to the Brisbane Bluey Studios for a guest appearance on the Australian children's show Phenomena and gave a press conference for selected media while in town. To say I was excited when I got the press conference invitation with a day's notice is an understatement. I was not throwing away my shot on this one. Now, I haven't done this on Streets of Your Town before, but this episode I will play the entire 20-minute press conference, because it's so unusual to have this sort of access to someone who is essentially musical theatre royalty with a worldwide following. You'll get a behind-the-scenes insight into how these press conferences work, and I've boosted the audio of the journalist's questions as much as I can, so you can get some context for his answers. Lin-Manuel Miranda was delightfully frank, giving insights into why he came to Australia now and the importance of First Nations Indigenous voices in this Australian cast, which make it distinct to other Hamilton productions. I was in the front row for all of you, my wandering journo tribe, and you'll be chuffed to know I got a question into the media throng as well, which you can hear in the coming press conference audio. And as Lin-Manuel Miranda himself explains, while COVID threw his initial plans to visit the Australian cast into chaos, even forcing their auditions for Hamilton onto Zoom, he was not walking away from his commitment to meet the cast and see the show as soon as he could. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Castle and it's great to have you
1: all with us in Brisbane. We have had the most spectacular run from Hamilton in Australia. The man who needs no introduction. He created the show and we are so thrilled to, to welcome him to Brisbane to see the Australian company for the very first time last night. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, Lynn manuel Miranda.
1: Hi everybody. Hi. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Hello Brisbane.
0: Who would like to ask the first question? Terry, go on. I know. Good morning, Lynn. Morning. What's your trip just to cover to meet Bluey in the cast?
1: Pure kismet that they make Bluey here. Then that's my family's favorite show. And what have Bandit and Chili taught your family that will last? Oof! I mean, how long do you have? Uh, well, listen. I mean, I think we've all had the Bluey moments where you feel a little guilty as a parent that you are not as uh, distracted and uh, able to play with your kids uh, the moment your kids have a wonderful idea. But it's certainly their uh, their hashtag goals that family, and um, and it really was. Um, it was. I think the way a lot of people feel about Hamilton during the pandemic is how we felt about Bluey during the pandemic. It was. My kids were the same age as, uh, as Bluey and Bingo, so uh, it was really, it hit us at the exact right time and uh, it was an honour to meet everybody.
0: Thank
1: you. Thanks for slowing me down. Yeah, no <laughs> worries. No, I, it's, it's, it's exciting.
0: <laughs> I'm intrigued by the timing of your visit, okay. we're near the end of the run, you're in Australia. Are you looking at maybe taking some cast members potentially overseas?
1: No, I wouldn't read into it too much from that angle. The, honestly, um, the, the the timing is as soon as I could make it work. Um, you know, I think you guys know there was a moment during the global pandemic when Australia was the only company of Hamilton running in the world, and and that was a real beacon of hope to our actors and our, comp- our other companies that theatre would come back and we would be able to one day put... Hopefully, put on the show again, um, but it was also harder to visit. You had a 14-day quarantine, um, and uh, you had to really uh, commit a kind of time I didn't yet have, uh, because during 2020 I was writing in canto and editing Tick Tick Boom, um, and so this has really been the soonest I can see. And I made a promise to see the Australia company while it was still in Australia, and they're leaving soon, so I came as soon as I could. <laughs> up to international concerts. oh I mean they're just they're, they're they're right there on on the level I mean they're so fantastic and I remember doing I mean we did the casting virtually I remember seeing Jason Arrow's audition and it had to have been April or May of, of 2020 um, and it was around the time we were watching and editing uh, Hamilton for release so they were really stacking up against the originals in a very tangible way and so um, we were really proud. Of, of the incredible company we were able to put together from, you know, locally. And uh, and then um, it's uh, it's been wonderful to see it continue to, you know, every original cast is like a four minute mile. You know, they said, scientists proved you couldn't run the mile in under four minutes and then someone did it and then suddenly everybody started doing it, right? And I, I feel like original casts are like that. It's impossible to find that first cast, it took us a year and change. And then it attracts the people who know they can do it. And so it's been, Wonderful to meet OG cast members uh, last night and also members who joined it in Melbourne or joined it in Sydney. And so, um, yeah, they're really wonderful. I mean, I saw it last night. They're wonderful. Um, going off that cast question, do you feel a certain protection of the role and like giving it away to other people? Of the role of Hamilton? Yeah. No more so than any of the other roles um, in, in the show. I played Hamilton for a year, but I, I actually played all of them when I was writing the thing. Um, I must have looked insane to my dog when I was doing the rap battles back and forth in my house. Um, but yeah, no, I think what, what we're always looking for are folks who are or, are storytellers. And sometimes that background comes heavily in musical theater. Sometimes that comes heavily from a, a hip-hop discipline. And what's, what's really fun um, about our show is everyone kind of meets in the middle end. We, we just look for the best possible storytellers for our story.
0: We don't really learn about
1: American history in Australia. I've, I've never heard of Alexander Hamilton before, watching Aussies be class during the pandemic and become a huge fan itself. And it has been very successful in Australia. What do you think it is about this story that resonates with an Australian audience? Well, it's funny. I, I remember getting a variation on this question when we opened in the UK, and my, my kind of dirty secret answer is, we don't learn that much American history in America. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't learn any of... The, uh, all, I lear- all I knew about Hamilton when I picked up that book was that the dude was on the $10 bill. Um, I knew his son died in a duel because I wrote a report about him my junior year in high school. I knew his son died in a duel and he died in a duel in near the same spot three years later. And I think the curiosity that got it off the shelf and into my hands was, well, how do you not see that coming? This feels like the most avoidable mistake in history. And so I, that was, that's really all I knew, but I didn't know anything else. And I think one of the secret ingredients in the recipe is my excitement in the fact that not a lot of people knew this story, or at least this is not a story I learned. We got a few highlights, but we didn't learn this story in our AP U.S. history classes. And so I, I, I think the story is just a compelling one. And it one of the real central themes in it is which stories get told and which don't, depending on who survives us. Um, you know, and, and their reputations rise and they fall because people are complicated and there are no heroes or villains in this piece. There's just really flawed people who made a really flawed country, um, because, which is what follows. And, um, and so I, I, think that's, I think that's what... It's funny, like, the emails I would get when we first opened were always like 3 a.m. emails. They weren't like, thank you, I liked your show, thank you for inviting me. They were like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Because when you have a show that kind of documents several lives over the course of many years, it makes you ask your own questions. And so I think that's the secret sauce of it, is it really, it starts as being this very specific history piece, but it really uh, invites you to think about what kind of legacy you're leaving behind.
0: Lin-Manuel I'm wondering following on from that question uh of course one of your leads in this show in the Brisbane run is an Indigenous First Nations performer and I wonder about the significance of that for you. I think of uh, one of your quotes that Hamilton is like the America of then performed by the America of now. And what, what significance does that have with this Australian cast? Well,
1: it's the first time I kind of saw Hakka moves in the Battle of Yorktown. I'll tell you that. I looked up on the surround and I saw this hand going like this with the sword. And I was like, oh man, there's some Hakka flavor uh, in this battle in 17, you know, 1781, uh, which was very exciting. Um, but, you know, I think that What I love about the productions that have gone beyond the United States is that we are always looking for as diverse a crew of storytellers to to tell the story as possible, and the diversity that we find in Australia is different from anywhere else, and so that history then becomes absorbed into the, into the, the crew of storytellers telling this particular story, and he's just so fantastic. Um, his one last time made me cry. And um, and it was a joy getting to know him a little better after the show. So, you know, that's that's also the fun of it. You know, you will see a totally different um, sort of uh, eclecticism on display in the Hamburg Company than you will in the UK, than you will in uh, in Brisbane. But um, it's, you know, we're always just trying to find the best storytellers we can.
0: Just speaking of being the cast last night, can you just tell us a little bit about that? I'm sure it was a very special moment. Um, emotional for some people, perhaps even yourself, and then actually sitting
1: and watching the show with the Brisbane audience. Yeah, it was, it was really amazing. I mean, first of all, the, the cast is a mix of folks who started the show at, at, when it first premiered here, and, um, and I know they, they were very proud to still be here and still telling the story, um, and they were also keenly aware, like, hey, it took you a long time to get here. <laughs> So there was that element of it too, in a very loving way, um, and and so it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, we just sort of had a you know rooftop drinks after the show, and um, and really got to enjoy spending time, sort of talking. to Because the other fun thing about when you do a show like this, it's two and a half hours. It's we all saying the same words all over the world, and and you do get a kind of fellowship. Um, you know, I had a long conversation. With, with a group of the actors last night of like, all right, when the turntable doesn't work, <laughs> what happens? It has happened to every company all over the world. Sometimes the turntable doesn't work. And so we were sharing turntable horror stories. Um, you know, Philip has died, but the turntable is not taking us away. Um, and, and variations thereof. <laughs> Um, And so so again, like and and what's been really wonderful to see is I know that a lot of the Australian actors have have come to the States and they visited New York and they have a group of friends there uh, ready like via Instagram DM via email that um, show them around because you've got this sort of, you know, we're all kind of these like satellite family members. And so we, we talked about that, too, about the connections that have been made across across different companies as well.
0: You've written uh, so many songs for characters and for other projects as well. I'm curious about your songwriting process. Do you get a germ of an idea and work on it quickly? Or do you save things and park them and come back to them? How how does that work?
1: Yeah, I'm really egalitarian. I'll take it whatever way it wants to show up. I do believe they show up. And, um, you know, different songwriters have, have different theories about it. There's a famous story... Of you know michael jackson's insomnia, and someone said, "Michael why don't you get some sleep?" and he says, "If I go to sleep, God will give the song to Prince." <laughs> um, I, I love that story um, but but you know it's hamilton 's a fantastic example because there, every kind of song got written in every kind of way for that you 're just trying to you 're telling a really big, complicated story, so you know my shot took over a year and it was six months before I ever sat at the piano. It was very much a lyrics first show because I knew my thesis was Hamilton's the best writer of that, so his bars better be good. And I just worked on his bars over different beats. I wanted, to, I wanted these bars to be good over this beat and this beat before I ever put my hands on the keys. Um, You'll Be Back showed up on my honeymoon without a piano anywhere in sight. Um, the yada-da-da-da da, da got stuck in my head, and um, I think the reason it's so catchy is because I had to remember it for the two weeks I was in Bora Bora with my wife until I could get back to a piano uh, you know, in, in the real world, because um, I was in a you know, cabana. Um, and, um, and then there are songs like um, you know, That Would Be Enough which is a song Eliza sings to her husband. You won't find that in a history book. There is no historical precedent for her saying, I just need you alive and to be my husband. Um, that came in about 45 minutes, and I remember very tearfully, <laughs> my wife hates when I tell this story. <laughs> I remember very tearfully playing it for my, my wife uh, as I, you know, I sing the song that would be enough and is very much inspired by her and to her. And she looks at me with, like, kind of like you'd look at it, she kind of went, oh, do you wish I would sing that to you? <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> and I'm like, yes! Um, so, you know, and that one was very much one with the melody came first. So um, it really, I'll, I'll take it however it comes.
0: Is there one song or one moment that always gives you response
1: in the show? There's several. Um... I... I mean, I really remember... <laughs> I, I, it's very funny, I always planned these... You know, I knew I was going to go on stage and, and thank everybody for coming last night, and I had a whole really pretty nice speech planned, forgetting that I have to watch the show too. And then I'm a mess during the last number, because I remember how hard I cried writing the number. Um, as usual with me, I'm very deadline-based as a writer. Um, It was the morning of a workshop, and we were going to be performing it in front of trusted friends and collaborators, and I hadn't written the last song yet. So I woke up at 4 in the morning with the Chair Now book and just all of the things Eliza did in the remaining 50 years of her life, and I would write one sentence, and I would cry. And then I would write another sentence, and I would cry. And I remember my dog in the corner just being like, "Ah, ah, ah." I remember my wife, who was not in show business, being like, do you need water? I, what am I supposed to give you? And I go, this is just the way it has to come out. It's just how it's coming out this time. And then I got to the orphanage, and I cried again. And so uh, when I watch that number, that comes back to me, that... Um, Just the labor pains of of having to write it. And I know sometimes people get misty-eyed at the end of the show, but they didn't cry as hard as I did. Um, There's an amazing scene in uh, one of my favorite books, like Water for Chocolate, um, where Tita is cooking uh, for her sister's wedding to the love of her life. And um, she's so miserable that the love of her life is marrying her sister and not her. She cries into the recipe, and then everyone who eats the cake just starts bursting into tears because it, her tears are in the recipe. That's kind of how I feel about the last song in this show. I cried in the recipe. I guess
0: I, I, I noticed in the show last night there was a few different hip-hop references. Like, obviously, there's more obvious ones like uh, Biggie, but then If You Don't Know.
1: You know yeah, Ten I'm Dual like, Commandments.
0: This morning in the Q&A, how Rise Up is Busta Rhymes, Pass the part two. I was like, that blew my mind. But what do you think is your most um, niche reference, or maybe most surprising reference you've made?
1: Yeah, you know, I really tried to, again, my, my goal was to create as many on-ramps for folk. This is all the things I love put into this show, and over written over the course of six years. So there's just as many musical theater references as there are um, hip-hop references, and I wanted... Uh, I wanted hip hop fans to be like, "Oh, just quoted Mob Deep," and I also, <laughs> and I also, you know, wanted, um, you know, when Burr says, "You've got to be carefully taught if you talk, you're gonna get shot," I wanted you know, stuffy musical theater fans who are like, oh, rap music and musical theater, to go like, oh, Rogers a Hammerstein, okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think my, my favorite one is uh, Nobody Needs to Know at the end of uh, Say No to This, which is a reference to Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years. It's the great infidelity anthem uh, of that show. I mean, great is probably the wrong word, Um, but it's a a beautiful and just heartbreaking and makes you feel gross uh, song, and I realized, (laughs) I remember getting to the end of writing it and being like, oh, that would be really good there, and... (laughs) And, and calling Jason Robert Brown, being like, I'm going to wholesale quote this line, if that's okay, and he's a good friend, and <laughs> I went forth with his blessing. Um, but it's, it's fun when people then see the last five years and go. Um, you know, it's fun either way, it happens.
0: So, what has been the most rewarding and challenging part about taking Hamilton to other countries and like kind of bringing it from the ground up like that?
1: I think the... Um, Probably the scariest moment was was the first time we did it, which was uh, in the UK, and we were performing at the Victoria Palace Theatre, and we do have a song where you know Victoria's second great grandpa is a character in our show, um, King George the Third, and we were performing in the shadow of Buckingham Palace, and we were like, how are they gonna take this? Um, and and it was interesting because I you know, when King George sings You'll Be Back to an American audience, he is singing to the descendants of uh, those colonists who uh, declared independence. Um, but when he's in London, who's he singing to? <laughs> so I remember that he, when he first walked out, and our first performance was just, you know, it was a dress rehearsal for the front of house crew who would be ushering in, and working in the theater. And I remember this: there was this kind of weird silence of, and again, this is the UK, it was a little bit of like, are they taking the piss? <laughs> and then when he got to, you're my favorite subject, like the nickel dropped and everyone, oh, we're the Americans. He's singing to us. And there was this uproarious laughter. And uh, and I think that that was, it was really, it was just really interesting um, because Again, I, obviously, the success of the show here and the success of the show in Hamburg proves that this is a universal story despite its specifics. Um, but, you know, you've got the British cheering their own defeat at the Battle of Yorktown. That's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> just anthropologically speaking, bird's-eye view. Um, so uh, that, that was... Uh, but, but the challenge is really... I think we only changed three lines. The lines we changed, we also changed in the Australian production. They're just really niche... New York things. Um, Yeah, well, referencing the Potomac, which is the river in DC. um, We changed that. We changed Weehawken because... Actually, we changed Weehawken because I remember asking Jamal, who played um, Hamilton, I said, what do you think Weehawken is? He goes, well, I think it's like we're attacking, right? Weehawken. (laughs) I was like, okay, so I'm changing that. (laughs) I just changed it to New Jersey, um, but yeah, just we just we just sort of took a, and then the other one I think we changed was um, John Adams doesn't have a real job anyway because we don't outright um, we learn in our history books that John Adams is the vice, the first vice president uh, of the United States, but you guys don't necessarily learn that, so we changed that to vice president is not a real job anyway, which you know is still we're still debating in twenty twenty three.
0: And last question, Erin. Australia is going to a cultural awakening right now to put more First Nations people in the room where it happens. How important is diversity to music in
1: part? Listen, it's my prerequisite for being in the room talking to you, right? I, I, I began writing musicals because I didn't see roles for myself in musicals. I was in love with this art form. And at the same time, I knew I don't dance well enough to play Bernardo or one of the sharks. And that's kind of all there is for Puerto Rican guys in musical theater. It's just what there was, what existed. And so I really began writing my first show in the Heights out of this sort of desire to write what was missing. And also represent my neighborhood in a way that I didn't see it portrayed uh, um, in, in mainstream uh, media, never, I mean, to speak nothing of, of musical theater. And so um, the amazing side effect of that and, and with Hamilton, I realize that with every at bat, I'm trying to create um, opportunities um, in, in my shows. Uh, you know, the the concept of this of this piece was, you know, we are we are living 200 some odd years past when the story was told, and you know the country looks very different than it did then, and so we get to tell the story uh, with all its messiness. We get to tell it too, um, and um, yeah, I mean, so 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 it's a prerequisite for my being here. Um, it's also um, it just gets us new stories. That's the other exciting part of it. Is that like to invite more people into the room means to invite new stories and to invite new narratives, and that's really exciting. So we have time
0: for everyone. Thank
1: you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys.
0: That was Lynn manuel Miranda speaking to a press conference of Gathered Brisbane Media, including yours truly, for this episode of Streets of Your Town. Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. If you'd like to meet more everyday, incredible Australians, subscribe and listen to the back catalogue of Streets of Your Town, including Series 2, The Journo Project, on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please review and rate Streets of Your Town on your podcast provider, share the show with your mates, or join my Wandering Journo tribe of supporters at the Streets of Your Town website s o y t